بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد A quick recap over our previous lesson Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Al-Abbad's explanation to this hadith إنما الأعمال بالنيات is divided into how many parts? Nine parts and we have covered the, how many? The first two parts. So the first part, it was, it was in relation to the chain of narration, and that this hadith is from the gharaib, from those ahadith that are gharib, which, which what, what does it mean, hadith on gharib? As essentially, at least, there is one narrator, at least at one point within the chain of narration. At any level of the, of the chain of narration, you may find, you will find one narrator there. طيب, second part was concerning the importance that the ulama have given to this hadith. So who can mention some of the benefits concerning that? Hmm? I can't hear you. Imam Shafi'i, what did he say? Anyway, this hadith enters into 70 chapters of fiqh. What else? What is significant about this hadith? The ulama... They have given importance to this hadith. An example of that is, for example, Imam al-Bukhari. What did he do? He started this, this, his, his sahih with this hadith. He placed it in the place of a muqaddimah. As though it is an introduction to his sahih. Indicating by way of that, that any action that isn't begun, sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that action, it is going to be Rejected and there is no fruit in that action in this life or the, or the afterlife. So the third part of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbad Sharh. Essentially, as we've seen, he's he's in his Sharh he has compiled quotations. Quotations from Ibn Rajab, quotations from Imam and Nawi, from from his other works here. He is, he's quoted three different quotations from Ibn Rajab. This third part is basically concerning a statement of Imam Ahmed. A statement of, uh, of Imam Ahmed that he made about how Islam revolves around three ahadith. How Islam it revolves around three ahadith. And that this hadith, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَاتِ is one of them. Imam Ahmad, he said, أُسُولِ الْإِسْلَامِ عَلَى ثَلَاثَةِ أَحَدِيثِ حَدِيثُ عُمَرْ وَحَدِيثُ عَائِشَةِ وَحَدِيثُ النُّعْمَانِ بِنْ مَشِيرِ So Imam Ahmad, he said that the foundations of Islam, they revolve around three ahadith. First hadith, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَاتِ Indeed, actions are by intentions, the hadith that we're studying right now. Hadith number two, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Man ahdatha fi amdina hadha ma laysa minhu fahuwa rad. Whoever introduces something into this affair of ours that is not from it, it shall, it shall be rejected. And the third hadith is the hadith of Nu'man ibn Bashir. Inna al-halal bayin wa inna al-haram bayin. The halal is clear. The haram is clear. Wa baynahuma umurun mushtabihat. 
لا يعلمه لا يعلمهن كثير من الناس. Halal is clear, haram is clear. Between them two are ambiguous matters, doubtful matters rather. Most of mankind don't know about these matters. فمن اتقى الشبهات فقد استبرأ لدينه وعرضه. So whoever keeps away from the doubtful matters, the messenger said, then he has saved himself and his honor. But whoever falls into the prohibit, whoever falls into the doubtful matters, then he has fallen into the haram matters. This is the sixth hadith, the sixth hadith in this collection. We're gonna we're gonna study the actual sharh of this hadith. But the point being is that Imam Ahmed is saying Islam, its foundations revolve around these three ahadith. The first hadith, innamal a'mal bin niyat. A hadith that is talking about what? Intentions, the niyyah. And that Islam revolves around the hadith of Aisha, radiallahu ta'ala anha, whoever innovates into this affair of ours, something that isn't from it, it shall be rejected. That hadith essentially is talking about what? Mutaba'ah, following the sunnah, not being upon innovation. And the third hadith is talking about the halal being clear, the haram being clear. Between it are matters that are ambiguous. I.e. fulfilling the obligations, keeping away from prohibited matters and keeping away and being cautious concerning matters that are, that are dubious and doubtful. Ibn al-Rajab al-Hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala, he then expounds and uh, elaborates upon this statement of Imam Ahmad to show the, uh, the, the depth of knowledge that Imam Ahmad had. Because in order for you to appreciate this statement of Imam Ahmad, you need to recognize who Imam Ahmad is. Imam Ahmad, the one that is given the title, Imam Ahl Sunnati Wal Jama'ah. What is he saying? He's saying that out of all the ahadith that he has available, all the ahadith that he knows, the usul of Islam go back to these three. Out of all those ahadith that he knows, just look at those ahadith that he's collected. The Musnad of Imam Ahmed. Is it a small collection? The collection of Imam Ahmed, his Musnad, the one that has been يعني, محقق, the one that has been uh, تحقيق of it has been made. How many volumes is it? 50 odd volumes, 52 volumes. So 52 volumes of ahadith Imam Ahmed has and has memorized. Out of these, this Imam, he is able to extract three. And that Islam revolves out of all of those thousands and thousands and thousands of ahadith. Three, he's been able to extract that Imam and say that Islam revolves around it. So now the angle that he's coming from, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he explains it. And he said, فَإِنَّ الدِّينَ فَإِنَّ الدِّينَ كُلَّهُ يَرْجِعُ إِلَى فِعْلِ الْمَأْمُورَاتِ وَتَرْكِ الْمَحْذُورَاتِ وَالتَّوَقُّ عَنِ الشُّبُهَاتِ The deen in its entirety, what is it? What does the deen consist of? Executing the commands of Allah. Keeping away from the matters that Allah has prohibited. And being cautious concerning the doubtful matters. 
Again, the deen of Islam, what does it consist of? It consists of executing the commands of Allah, keeping away from the matters that Allah has prohibited, and being cautious concerning the doubtful matters. Allah commands you to worship Him, him alone. You execute that. That is part, that is the deen of Islam. Allah commands you to keep away from shirk. He prohibits you from shirk. You fulfill that. That is the deen of Islam. Matters that are dubious to you, matters that are doubtful to you, you keep away from them. That is the deen of Islam. So the deen of Islam in its entirety, what does it consist of? Fulfilling or executing the, command, the commands of Allah, keeping away from the prohibited matters, and being cautious concerning the, the matters that are doubtful. This is the deen of Islam. Ibn al-Rajab al-Hanbali, rahimahullah ta'ala, he then, he then said, وَهَذَا وَهَذَا كُلُّهُ تَدَمَّنَهُ حَدِيثُ النُّعْمَانِ بِنْ بَشِيرٌ So this matter here, the fact that the deen of Islam, it, is, it consists of, and it goes back to, executing the commands of Allah, keeping away from His prohibitions, and being cautious concerning the doubtful matters, all of this is contained where? In that one single hadith of An-Nu'man ibn Bashir. When he said, that the messenger said, indeed the halal is clear, indeed the haram is clear, and between the two of them are matters that are doubtful. Most of mankind don't know about them until the end of the hadith. So this matter that Ibn Rajab mentioned, uh, Imam Ah, uh, Ibn Rajab explains here, it all is found within this hadith of An-Nu'man ibn Bashir. That hadith that Imam Ahmed said, Islam, the usul of Islam, it goes back to this hadith. It is one of those ahadith that Islam goes back to. What were the other two ahadith that uh, Imam Ahmed mentioned? Hadith of Aisha concerning following the Messenger والسلام, and the second the hadith of Umar about your, your, your intentions, your niyyah. So then Ibn al-Rajab, after he explains that the whole of the deen of Islam goes back to, it goes back to executing the commands, keeping away from the prohibitions and being cautious concerning the doubtful matters. And that this, all of this, it is found in the hadith of An-Nu'man ibn Bashir. He then said, وَإِنَّمَا يَتِمُّ ذَلِكَ بِأَمْرَيْنَ أَحَدُهُمَا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَعَمَلَ فِي ظَاهِرِهِ عَلَى مُوَافِقَةِ السُنَّةِ وَهَذَا هُوَ الَّذِي تَدَمَّنَهُ حَدِيثُ عَائِشَةِ وَالثَّانِيَ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَعَمَلْ فِي بَاطِنِهِ يُقْصَدْ بِهِ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ كَمَا تَضَمَّنَهُ حَدِيثُ عُمَرٌ The whole of the deen, it consists of, it goes back to executing the commands of Allah, keeping away from the prohibitions, being cautious concerning the, the doubtful matters, the dubious matters. And all of that cannot happen, cannot be obtained. You can't execute a command of Allah. You can't keep away from a prohibition. Nothing is going to be dubious to you concerning the religious matters except by two things. One of them is by making sure that your actions, the external aspect of your actions are in accordance to the sunnah. And that is found in which hadith? The hadith of Aisha. And the second matter 
is that the action that you perform has to be sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is found in the hadith of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the hadith that we're studying. So Imam Ahmad, he says that the usul of Islam, they go back to three ahadith. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَاتِ مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَرَدْ And the hadith, إِنَّ الْحَلَالِ بَيِّنْ وَالْحَرَامِ بَيِّنْ Al-Hadith, to the end of the hadith. And how is it the case that the usul of Islam goes back to that? Because of the fact that the deen, it consists of executing the commands of Allah, keeping away from the prohibitions, being cautious concerning the dubious matters. And the hadith of Nu'man, it contains all of that. It is in, it is in regards to that. And this matter of the deen cannot be fulfilled except by being sincere in, in regards to your intentions and except by making sure that your actions as far as the external aspect of it is concerned is in accordance to the sunnah. And both of these matters go back to the hadith of Aisha and the hadith of Umar ta'ala and Umar. Ayyub, is that a bit clear? So then after that, Shaykh Abdul Mahsin Al-Abbad, he quotes a statement from Ibn Rajab. Uh, where Ibn Rajab, essentially he quote, he um, cites the other ahadith that the ulama have said concerning which uh, the Islam it revolves. Other ahadith uh, that he said that Islam, that the ulama have said Islam revolves around. And then he mentions those ahadith. Tayyip. Part number four. So now we've done part number one, part number two, part number three of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbad's explanation to this hadith. Point number one is concerning the chain of narration. Number two is concerning the importance that the ulama gave to this hadith, the significance that this hadith carried in the eyes of Ahlul Ilm. And number three is concerning how this hadith, it is one of those ahadith that the usul of Islam goes back to, and we mentioned the statement of Imam Ahmed concerning that. Part number four, part number five, and part number six, they are concerning the wordings of this hadith, so the actual hadith itself, and an explanation concerning the meanings of this hadith. Part number four, that is concerning the statement of Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam when he said al-a'mal Indeed actions are by intentions طيب, innama. Innama. What does innama mean? You can translate it as being only in the English language It is a particle of limitation grammatically speaking a particle of restriction and limitation limits and restricts the information that has been mentioned, the action that has been mentioned to the subject of the sentence. For example, let's give an example to clarify that. If there was a blind man here and he said to me, Ali, man yaqoom fi al makan? Who is standing who is standing here? If I said to him, for example, Isa, when you come, Harith, 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 
if I said now, the blind man says to me, who is standing up? I said, Harith Yaqum. Harith Yaqum. Does that sentence now mean that nobody else is standing up? The blind man, he says to me, Ali, who is standing up? I said, Harith Yaqum. Harith is standing up. Does that sentence now mean nobody else is standing up? It could be, it could be the case that somebody else is standing up as well. But if I said, Innama Harith Yaqum, Innama Harith Qa'im, Innama Harith Qa'im, it is only Harith that is standing, then that indicates what? Then he knows as a result of that, Hisr, that it is limited, the action of standing is limited to Harith. Nobody except Harith is standing. Wadih. Okay, so Innama Adatu Hasar. Innama is a particle that is used to limit. To restrict and limit, to limit that khabar concerning, uh, to limit that khabar to the subject of the of the sentence. So, innam al-a'mal bin niyat actions are only by intentions. Only what by intentions? We're going to soon find out. But actions are only by intentions, not by anything else. If an action is an action that is confirmed to be an action of the sunnah, then it is only by the intention. But the question now arises. The action is only by the intention. What does this mean? There is something that needs elaborating. Indeed, actions are by their intentions. Indeed, actions are what? By their intentions. Indeed, actions are, are what? Behind, uh, by their intentions. There is a a ma'na muqaddar, an implied meaning here, a meaning that isn't pronounced, but it's contained within because the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he was given jawami'il kalim, he was given brief, concise speech, speech that is of few words, but great in meaning, much in meaning. So the Messenger said, innamal a'mal bin niyat, indeed actions are only by their intentions. So what is the ma'na al-muqaddar? What is the implied meaning? You have this in the Arabic language a lot. For example, you say to a person, Ijlis, sit down. But there's only one word you're hearing. And in Arabic, for a sentence to be a useful sentence, a jumla, mufida, it has to consist of two words. So where's the second word? Ijlis. If I said to you, Ijlis, there's a second word there. There's an implied meaning. What's the implied meaning in the word Ijlis? When I say sit down. Anta, ahsant. Ijlis, anta, sit down, you. So the point being is that in the Arabic language, you get a lot of these ma'ani al-muqaddara, implied meanings. Meanings that are understood, but they're not verbally, in, they're not verbally pronounced. So here there is a ma'na muqaddara. There is, an, there is an implied meaning. That implied meaning is mu'tabara. Valid and considered. Actions. al-a'mal bin-niyat. Indeed, actions are valid and considered based upon their intentions. Ah, now we understand. al-a'mal bin-niyat. Indeed, actions, they are 
considered based upon the intention, the intentions of the of the person who did the action. The intention concerning that particular action. The person does an action. Is it valid in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The only thing in Nama, the only thing based upon which it is gonna be valid before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the niyyah, the action, the intentions behind it, the, the intentions behind them. Indeed, actions are valid based upon their intentions, considered and valid based upon their intentions. Is that bit clear? Anything need repeating or clarifying? No? Understood? Innamal a'mal bin niyat. Tayyib, an niyah. What is the purpose of a niyah? The niyah, it distinguishes between the adat from the ibadat. The intention. It distinguishes adat, habits, customs, just habitual practices, from ibadat, from acts of worship. That is the that is the role that the niyyah plays. For example, let's give an example to clarify this. A person, he gets up in the morning on Friday and has a bath, just has a bath, just for the sake of it, just has a bath. Another person, he gets up in the morning he has, and he performs the exact same type of bath, exact same type of ghusl. The mode, the modality and the nature of the actual acts that they perform when they're making the ghusl is exactly the same. One is considered an act of worship, the other isn't. One is considered an ibadah, an act of worship, the other isn't. The other is considered an adah, just a habit, a custom. What's the thing that distinguishes the two of them? It was exactly the same. The man, person A performed ghusl, person B performed ghusl in the exact same way. Why is person A's ghusl ibadah, worship? Why is person B's ghusl considered, yu'tabar, considered as an adah? The niyyah, the intention. So the niyyah, what does it do? This is one thing that it does. It distinguishes and separates and distinguishes between adat and ibad, ibadat. Is that clear? Any questions? Anything that needs clarifying concerning that? Tayyib. That's one thing that the niyyah does. And likewise, the niyyah, it distinguishes and separates ibadat ba'duha anil ba'ab. It distinguishes acts of worship one from the other. And niyyah separates and distinguishes acts of worship one from the other. You've got a collection of acts of worship and one is distinguished from the other. You've got two men. Both of them are praying. Both of them are praying the same raka'at. Two raka'as. 
But one is different from the other. How? One comes into the masjid. He prays. Tahiyyat al-masjid. Another who's in a masjid, he comes into the masjid and he prays the salah of farida, the obligatory prayer of, for example, salat al-fajr. Well, that's the only example for, for an obligatory prayer. He prays salat al-fajr to rak'ahs. The other, he prays to rak'ahs of tahiyyat al-masjid. But the nature and the modality of the prayer is exactly the same. And both of them are acts of worship. It isn't the case that one is an adah. One is, uh, one is a habit. No. Both of them are ibadat. Both of them are acts of worship. And both of them, as far as the physical practice of the worship is concerned, they're both identical, both the same. Two raka'as, two raka'as. What is the thing that separates them? What's the word for it? The intention in Arabic. Niyah. So the niyah is the thing that distinguished between the two, between the two acts. Both of them were exactly the same. And both of them were acts of worship. But the thing that distinguished one act of worship from the other is the niyah. And not just that. So you have a niyah. Distinguishes adat from ibadat, habits from acts of worship. And likewise, niyyah distinguishes acts of worship, one from the other. But likewise, if you look at your adat, your habits, the things that you do on a, on a customary basis, you can transform them, you can change them into ibadat into worship things that you do on a customary basis on a habitual basis you don't give it any thought you can capitalize upon that because life is short 60 70 years they say or the 60 70 years the messenger said on average is the age of those from his ummah 60 70 years some of us we have crossed half of it already some of us cross two-thirds. Some of us, khalas, at the brink of it. Who knows how much is left. Those, those uh, small seconds that you have, small units of time that you have, in this realm, upon this earth, in this life, you can transform those units of seconds, units of milliseconds, into ibadat, those units that you take for granted. For example, your sleep, that can actually be transformed into an ibadah. Six hours of doing nothing. Six hours that you have for free, available to you, 24 hours a day, you can convert those six hours into worship. Six hours whereby you're going to earn the pleasure of Allah. How? Six hours just going to waste like that. You can capitalize upon it. How? How? Ibn Mas'ud He used to say he seeks reward. He's seeking reward from Allah from his sleep. He's going to go to bed. He wants to go to bed. He's going to go to sleep. Had a long day, tired day. 
is actually wanting to get reward for sleeping. Why? Because he has the intention that by way of this sleep, his body is going to be re-energized so that he can worship Allah. Get his strength back so that he can worship Allah. With that intention, six hours, seven hours, he takes benefit. But just in those things, because those are ibadat, those things that are just adat, your sleep, sleeping and snoring away, just that action there, not even the precursors to it, the actual action itself, you can, that can be converted into worship. Just like, for example, you give a thousand pounds in charity. You're seeking reward. There's a reason why you're doing it. You want reward from it. If you tahtasib, seek reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from your sleep with the intention that it's gonna, you're going to become re-energized by way of it so that you can perform qiyam or layl or perform salah or ibadah in general, you'll be rewarded for it. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala, he used to say that he seeks reward concerning that time when he, is, when he stops making dhikr, when he's not making dhikr. That time when he pauses and he stops making dhikr, he has a break from making dhikr, he seeks reward. Why? Because his niyyah, he says, is to yastajim nafsahu, to re-energize himself, rejuvenate himself, get re-energized so that he can make dhikr again with energy. Because when your energy is gone, your mind becomes drained, your concentration becomes drained, you need to be re-energized. Ibn Taymiyyah, he's saying just that period of time when he is not making dhikr, those moments, he's using them in order to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's seeking reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through those moments. Why? Because his intention behind that is just to get re-energized. So that when his energy comes back and his strength and his vigor comes back, he can capitalize upon that time in making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Messenger said, لا يزال سانك رطبا بذكر الله عز وجل. Don't allow your tongue. He advised a man who wanted to know about deeds that can bring him closer to Allah. Don't tell, your tongue shouldn't cease, should not cease, should not stop being moist from the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So therefore you find these people, they engage in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that time when they are not, they, are, they have a certain niyyah, a certain intention behind that free time to become re-energized, re rejuvenated so that they have the strength. Ibn Baz, Shaykh Abdul Aziz, Ibn Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, if he's in the class and the people there are asking him questions, Students are asking him questions. What does he do? What does he do? Ibn Ubaz is in the classroom. And he is being asked a question. The students, what do they do? When they are asking him, when, they, when the students are asking him his question, Shaykh Abdul Aziz Ibn Ubaz is saying, Astaghfirullah, 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 Astaghfirullah. He's making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
But now imagine if you do that, even the time when you're not making dhikr of Allah, Jalla wa you can still get reward from that time just based upon your intention. So you convert your adat, your habits, your habits and your customary practices into ibadat. For that reason, uh, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, he says, he says, وَلِهَذَا قَالَ بَعْدُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ عِبَادَاتُ أَهْلِ الْغَفْلَةِ عَادَاتُ وَعَادَاتُ أَهْلِ الْيَقِظَةِ عِبَادَاتُ He said that some of the people of knowledge have said that the acts of worship that the heedless people engage in, they're just adat, they're just habits. But the adat, the habits of the people that are, that are uh, uh, alert, those people that are alert and heedful, their habits are in reality acts of worship. And then he gives an example uh, concerning this. Like the one who stands up and he makes wudu and he goes to pray. But he goes to pray because it's a habit. Every, and he goes to the masjid to pray because it's just a habit. Everybody else does it. He's been doing it for so many years. So he's not conscious of the fact as to why he's doing it. So Ahlul uh, Ilm can say, Ahlul Ilm, the people of knowledge, say concerning this, this is more like adat. You're just going to the masjid, praying and what have you, reading your Quran as an adat, as a habitual practice. But the other group of people, they convert. They convert the adat into ibadat. They convert their habit into acts of worship. For example, a person who eats. But he eats in order to. He eats and he has the intention, I'm fulfilling the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm fulfilling the command of Allah in order to sustain myself. And so that I don't have to be reliant upon people. Or another example of a person who wears beautiful clothing, nice, beautiful clothing. This person, he wears beautiful, nice clothing. Why? So he can look down upon others. Look at me. Look how nice I look. He tells others, look at my clothing. And he looks down upon them. This is the intention behind it, to look down upon them. What have you got? What are you wearing? Look at me. Well, look at what I've got. That's the first category. That's the category of people who are no doubt dispraised. But then the second category of people wear beautiful clothing. They go out and they show their beautiful clothing. Why? To make manifest the ni'm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon him. To make manifest the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon me. Look at this. This is the clothing that I've got. I'm showing it to you so that I can make manifest the blessings and the father of Allah Jalla wa'az upon me and so on and so forth. Those people that are clever, those people that are wise and sharp are those people that convert their habits into acts of worship by doing nothing laborious and strenuous, by just converting that feeling in their heart, converting and changing their intention. Tayyip. So that is concerning part number four of Sheikh Abdul Masih Al-Abbad's sharh uh, of this hadith. Part number five. Part number five. Part number five, that is concerning the statement when the messenger said, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى 
and indeed for every person is what he intended. So the first statement, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَاتِ Indeed, actions are by intentions. This, uh, uh, this uh, statement here, and the second statement, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ امْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى And indeed, every person shall have what he intended. Is this, is this just mere repetition of, يعني, is this just emphasis? What's the purpose? What's the meaning behind this? The messenger said in the first statement, indeed actions are by their intentions. In the second statement he said, and indeed every person shall have what he intended. Is this just mere emphasis? Is the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam just emphasizing the first sentence? Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih al-Uthaymeen, and likewise uh, others have mentioned, that no, Ibn Rajab, he mentions here as well, no, that isn't the case. Because the qa'idah, the principle, is that if there are two sentences, two statements, one comes after the other, both of them have a similar meaning. The asal is that one has its own independent meaning and the second statement, the second sentence has its own separate independent meaning. It isn't to be taken as mere emphasis of the first statement. So when the messenger says, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالنِّيَاتِ Indeed, actions are by their intentions. This statement is concerning the action itself. Whether the action is righteous or whether the action is corrupt. Whether the action is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or whether the action is rejected, yalhamakallah. Whether the action is good, whether the action is evil, whether the action is neither, just something that is permitted. So the first statement, innam al-a'mal bin is a statement concerning the actions themselves, the state of the action. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it righteous? Is it evil? The second statement, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ امْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى And indeed, for each person is what he intended. This is concerning his reward. The first is concerning the action itself. Is it good? Is it not good? Is it righteous? Is it not righteous? Is it evil? Or is it uh, a pious act? The second is concerning the fact that the reward that the person shall get is based upon his intention. So the first is concerning the action and the second is concerning the reward, the reward that is produced as a result of the action. But you have asked for the second part. What's the, how much time have we spent so far? 40 minutes. Okay, we'll give it five minutes then. Five minutes and then we'll close. Tayyip, part number six. That is concerning the hadith, that is concerning the statement of the Messenger when he said, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ So he whose hijrah, migration, is for Allah and his Messenger, then his hijrah is for Allah and his Messenger. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُسِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ But he whose hijrah 
It's for the dunya to acquire it or for a woman in order to marry her. Then his hijrah is for whatever he may, uh, made hijrah for. طيب, this hadith, this uh, part of the hadith here, here the Messenger والسلام, is now giving us an example to clarify to us and to make clear to us his previous statement. Al Hijrah, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says, it means leaving. And it occurs by leaving a land of fear to a land of security. Like the hijrah that the Muslims made from Makkah to Ethiopia. And thus it is from the land of disbelief. Or, and it occurs. It occurs. From a land of disbelief to a land of Islam. Like the hijrah from Makkah to Medina. And likewise it can occur. From a land of disbelief to another land of disbelief. Like the hijrah that occurred in the time of the Messenger والسلام, from Makkah to Habasha. طيب. Now, as far as the statement is concerned, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he essentially just gives us a quotation of Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali concerning this. And we can divide the points that Ibn Rajab covers into one Two, three, four points. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, his points concerning this part of the hadith is four. So number one. The messenger said, Man kanat hijratuhu ila Allahi wa Fahijratuhu ila Allahi wa He whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, then his hijrah is for Allah and his messenger. Is this, is this just mere repetition? The messenger said, He who makes hijrah for Allah and his messenger, then his hijrah is for Allah and his messenger. Is it mere repetition? Like for example, if I said, if it rains, it rains. If uh, uh, the sun comes out, then the sun comes out. So is, it, is that the meaning of this hadith? There's another implied meaning. Ma'ana muqaddar. Implied meaning. فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ نِيَّةً وَقَصْدًا He whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger as far as the person's niyyah is concerned. As far as the person's intention and motive is concerned. That's the meaning of the first statement. فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ He whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, i.e. as far as that person's intention is concerned, his objective is concerned. فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثَوَابًا وَأَجْرًا Then his hijrah is for Allah and his messenger as far as reward is concerned. That's the meaning of the second statement. So when the messenger says, so he whose hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, then his hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, he is not just merely making, the, uh, making a repetition of the uh, first statement, no. The first statement means he who makes hijrah, he who intends to make hijrah for Allah and his messenger, 
then he'll get the reward for having done so. That's the meaning of it. That's the first part. Second part. Second part is the fact that وَكَأَنَّهُ يَقُولُ سَائِرُ الْأَعْمَالَ عَلَى حَذْوِ هَذِ عَلَى حَذْوِ هَذَا الْمِثَالِ It is as though the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam is saying all of the rest of the acts of worship, all of the, re all of the rest of the actions yeah, you can apply them to this example. You can use this as an example. He whose hijrah is for Allah and his Messenger as far as his intentions are concerned, then he will be rewarded in that regard. He, for example, so now let's use another example. Someone prays Salah. He who prayed Salah in order to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he who pray, prayed Salah in order to see the face of Allah, then, his, then his, he who prayed Salah for Allah, then his Salah is for Allah, meaning... He who prayed his salah in order to get the reward of Allah, then his, then, then his salah, then he will get the reward of Allah, then he will get the reward from Allah for his salah. He who prayed, he who gave zakah, who gave in charity, in order to see the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then his reward will be seeing the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, it is as though he is saying this is an example concerning hijrah, but you can apply the rest of the examples onto this example. You can apply the rest of the actions onto this example. That's the second point. Third point. فَهَذَا هُوَ الْمُهَاجِرُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ حَقًّا وَكَفَاهُ شَرَفًا وَفَخْرًا أنه حصل له ما نواه من هجرته إلى رسول الله صلى إلى الله ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم ولهذا المعنى اقتصر في جواب هذا الشرط على إعادته بلفظه. so the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام he made two statements one of them was identical to the other why because he who makes hijra to Allah and his messenger i.e. he intends hijra to Allah and his messenger then his hijrah is to Allah and his messenger as far as the reward is concerned. He's going to get that reward. And that is enough of, a, of an honor. That is enough of a nobility that a person obtains what he intended in terms of making hijrah to Allah and his messenger. What a person intended in terms of engaging in an act of worship. A person engages in an act of worship. Why does he do so? Not for a dunyawi matter. He does it in order to get the reward of Allah. He does it in order to get the reward behind it. So then, so then if it is the case that he gets the reward behind it, and he will do if he intended it, that reward is enough of a fakhr, enough of an honor, enough of a nobility, enough of an achievement. And for that reason, the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he limited his response, he limited the second sentence by repeating it. Why? Because if it's the case that a person performed hijrah, niyatan wa qastan, performed hijrah for Allah as far as his intentions are concerned, then his hijrah is for Allah and his messenger as far as the reward is concerned. And that reward is enough of an honor for him, enough of a recompense for him. And therefore the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam,
he limited the answer to repetition of that statement. The fourth matter is concerning the statement that the messenger made when he said, وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُسِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ He who makes hijrah for a woman or he who makes hijrah for a dunyawi matter in order to obtain it or for a woman in order to marry her فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ then his hijrah is for whatever he intended. Why did the Messenger والسلام, say this? Why did he say concerning the first hijrah, the hijrah that is done, the migration that is done, solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that his hijrah is for Allah and his Messenger. But then when it comes to this matter here, hijrah for dunya, hijrah for worldly matters, the Messenger said, oh, his hijrah is for whatever he intended. Ibn Rajab, he mentions two matters. Number one, تحقير لما طلبه من أمر الدنيا In order to look down upon that thing that he sought by way of that hijrah from the dunya. The messenger says about the one that makes hijrah for a dunyawi matter, his hijrah is for whatever he did. It's not even worth mentioning. He made hijrah, he had the opportunity to earn and attain great reward from his hijrah. He didn't do so. He made hijrah for a dunyawi matter. So therefore, his, the reason that he made hijrah for and what he got out from that hijrah, it's not even worth mentioning. So in order to look down upon that thing, to belittle that thing, not even worth mentioning, he had an opportunity to make hijrah to Pakistan. For example, Pakistan, a person... An opportunity arises to make hijrah to Pakistan. All you had to do was have the niyyah to make hijrah seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But rather what you did, you let that opportunity get you go by, pass you by. There was a fantastic business opportunity for overseas Pakistanis. You got your Nadra card, khalas, you went off. You got your property, you got your, 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 your business going there with the sole intention of making money. That person's hijrah is for whatever he migrated for. We're not even going to mention it. We're not even going to mention that he was able to get the business, get the property. Not even worth mentioning. That's one reason. Istihanat. Yani to look down upon that thing and belittle that thing. and not, yani That thing isn't even worth mentioning. That thing for which he made hijrah for from the dunyawi matters. That's the first matter. Second point that uh, Ibn Rajab he mentions, فَالْهِجْرَةَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَاحِدًا Hijrah that is made to Allah and His Messenger is just one. If you make hijrah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger, and when we say hijrah to Allah and His Messenger, that means as far as hijrah to the Messenger is concerned. If it's in His lifetime, then that is physically making hijrah to the Messenger Physically going there and being in his companionship, being in his company, in his lifetime. After his death, alayhi salatu wasalam, in hijrah ila rasul, ila rasul, it is in reference to making hijrah in order to learn the sunnah of the rasul, to defend the sunnah of the rasul, to be able to manifest the sunnah of the rasul, alayhi salatu wasalam, in a place where you can't do so. So that is what it is in reference to as far as 
after the, de the death of the Messenger is concerned. But the point here is Allah wa Hijrah to Allah and His Messenger is just one. You make it in order to see the face of Allah. You make Hijrah from a land of Kufr to a land of uh, 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 Islam just for one reason. There's only one reason. There's no two, there's no three. There's just one reason that is possible for you to make Hijrah for if it's the case that it falls under the definition of making Hijrah for Allah and His Messenger. And that is what? To earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, making hijrah for the dunyawi matters, they can't be enumerated. A person may make hijrah for halal, for things that are permitted, for haram things. A person may make hijrah to marry a woman. He may, he may make hijrah in order for a business opportunity. He may make hijrah in order for education and so on and so forth. So therefore hijrah for the dunya, it can't, it can't be enumerated. However, hijrah for Allah and His Messenger, that is just one. So that is another reason why Allah's Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَاتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ He whose hijrah is for Allah and His Messenger, فَهِجْرَاتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Then his hijrah is for Allah and His Messenger. He repeated it again. Among the reasons behind it is this. Because hijrah for Allah and His Messenger is only done for one reason. And that is to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that there is the end of part 6 to Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad's explanation to this hadith. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we will complete it by going over part 7, part 8 and part 9, which are very, very brief. And then after that, we shall uh, go into the hadith of Jibreel, إِنَّمَا al So if anything needs clarifying... Unless anything needs clarifying, then close now. Ah. Yeah. So in, in relation to the first matter, that's correct. As we said before, that the meaning of the first statement, when the messenger said, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ نِيَةً وَقَصْدًا Then yes, his reward will be having made hijrah for Allah and his messenger, meaning the thawab that he gets from it, the reward that he gets from it. So yes, the one who intends, then I forgot the word that you used, but yes, as a result, of, the result of that, is the reward. If you intended by way of that, making hijrah for Allah and His Messenger, then it's an inherent result of that that you will be rewarded for it. That you will get the reward that you intended by way of that. It's an inherent result of it. It's connected to it. The second thing that you mentioned was, uh, correct me if I didn't understand you properly, but the one who makes hijrah, if it's the case that he makes hijrah solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then he ends up getting some dunyawi, uh, 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 dunyawi matter out of it, would his reward be decreased? Is that what you're asking? That's under the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's under the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we know that if we intend a matter and even if we don't achieve it, you still get the reward for it. The hadith. Uh, indeed in Medina so the messenger والسلام, and his companions they went out in a, 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 in a battle in an expedition some of the companions were unable to go to this battle why? sickness held them back but the messenger said about these men, these companions that were unable to go on a battle expedition with the other companions, 
He said, you, the actual mujahidun, the actual fighters, there isn't a, what, there isn't a, a valley that you've passed, not a path that you've passed, not a valley that you've gone by, that you've gone by, except that they were with you, except that they shared your reward, the reward that you got as a result of engaging in jihad, legislative jihad, not the jihad of Daesh, the legislative jihad under a Muslim ruler, a conventional army against a conventional army. Now these companions that didn't go on that jihad expedition, that they shall be rewarded, that they had the reward that you, the actual mujahidun, had. And that every single valley that you passed, those other companions that were sick in Medina, they also got the reward. Every pathway that you went through, those companions that didn't come with you because they were sick and ill and they had to stay in Medina and not come and fight, they also got the reward. How? Why? How is it the case that you have these companions that go out in a battle, swords and fighting, putting their lives at risk, yet these sick people, these people that are physically sick in Medina, they get the same reward. How is it the case that you go out in a battle and your body's being beaten down with the sun, yet you get the same, yet these people that are sick and that are lying on their beds, they get the same reward. The niya, the intention. So if you intend to make hijrah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, and then death overtakes you, or another yani habis, another preventative factor comes in your way, you still get the reward for it. But you're right, Ya Ibrahim. You're right concerning the one who intends to make hijrah for a woman, for a dunya matter, well that's under the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You may get it, you may not get it. It's not even worth mentioning what that person intended. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar.